0: Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope and the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along.
1: Beautiful people, we're back with yet another episode of Shining Delight and today I am privileged to be joined by a very good friend and someone that I deeply respect and I'll let him introduce himself.
2: Okay, my name is Ivan Gonzalez. Uh, What else do we need now? Two interesting facts and two uninteresting facts about you. I got, when I was six, I got run over by a car, and and I walked away with it. We were going to theater, and I was super excited to go to the theater, and then my parents parked right by the theater. As soon as they opened the door, I flew out, and I was like, no, honestly, I was like four, because my little sister wasn't even born yet. I ran out, and as I ran out, this car was passing by, and they were looking at the theater, looking at the posters, I guess, because they were not looking at me. They ended up running me over. And I remember, I think as I went down, I saw my mom, and she was more scared than I was. (laughs) My dad said, told the guys, like, hey, my son's in your car. Reverse, reverse. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? The guy reversed back. And I remember my legs being over my face, like, while I was being dragged under the car. My mom was like, oh, I thought he's going to be so mangled and this and that. Picked me up. I was crying. And my dad's like, he doesn't want to accept that something's wrong. So he's like patting me, he's like, oh, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. <laughs> and um, luckily the car did hit me between the wheels and it was he was going super slow. He kind of just pushed me and then as he drove, it kind of dragged me. My dad's like, all right, let's walk around the parking lot and make sure you're okay. And I started walking, I stopped crying and then we started walking. And then my dad's like, all right, we're going home. And then I started crying and my mom's like, where does it hurt, where does it hurt? And I'm like, are we not staying to watch the movie? <laughs> <laughs> Priorities, <laughs> man. Priorities. <laughs> and true story, man. Like, wow, let's yeah. go. So wow. I got run over by a car. My, my shirt was all tore up from the back, had grease and everything. But like, my biggest concern is like, are we going to stay? That's like,
1: actually very interesting. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what are some uninteresting facts about you?
2: I have trouble sleeping, mainly because I'm an overthinker. Do you have like a favorite conspiracy theory that, you, that keeps you up at night? So just the vastness of the universe, like what is happening on the other side of the universe at this moment? Because supposedly the light has already like dimmed out, but we're Mm. just seeing it because it's so many billion years, you know. Mm. Um, But what's actually happening over there? Or are we living in a simulation where we're just seeing things, but it's really, we're like in the matrix, you know, sometimes I wonder. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's
1: awesome well today i'm really glad to be joined by Ivan. he's very good people and if you know me you know that's the highest compliment in the book of neville so uh he's gonna share his story with us and i cannot speak for him but he has such an interesting story that i think can just can best be told by him so we're really really honored to have him thank you so much for being here so yeah i'll throw the baton at you yeah glad to be here
2: yeah uh, so my story uh, starts I'm going to date myself i was born in 1981 so i grew up in dallas texas my folks uh were catholic by culture but not really practicing and we would uh go to church periodically but really didn't live anything out my dad was a heavy drinker parents fought a lot because of it uh one day these uh folks started knocking on a door asking to talk to my parents and eventually my mom turns out these folks were Christians and my mom accepted Christ and we started going to a Christian church. And then I saw the change in my mom and then eventually saw the change in my dad. He stopped drinking. I thought to myself, you know what, I'll serve this God too. Uh, So I started my my life to Christ when I was uh, around 12 or so. But the church we went to was very legalistic. Drinking was a sin, secular music was a sin, Going to the theater was a sin, And so I was like, "Wow, those are all things other than drinking that I like to do. So I thought that you had to be perfect in order to be a Christian. That was only mainly just uh, reinforced with my parents because they fought a lot still. The alcohol was not the issue, it was their character. They continued to fight, and they never told anyone at the church. they They always said that you had to show your best face. What made things worse is at church we we were considered the model family. We're always sitting together and we're always happy, we're always doing things as a family. I have two sisters, so it was three of us, plus my parents. And so when I went off to college, I knew a couple of things about Christianity, uh, that you had to be perfect, that you, um, if you had an issue, you never told anyone. And so that was the breeding ground for becoming an addict because I was exposed to pornography when I was six. And uh, when I was six, that's like late eighties and there's not a lot of, there's no internet at the time. So pornography is not easily accessible, but it kind of started to get my mind ready. And my mom cleaned houses and she used to take me with her. And uh, a lot of people that went to houses, they were non-believers, And I would always like look for pornography. And amazingly enough, most of the time I would find it. Like if there were magazines under the bed or a video or something, I was able to kind of find it here and there. But it wasn't until the year 2000 when I left my house and went to college where I experienced high speed internet. That's when went I, start- to Texas, I went to Texas A&M University. That's yeah, that's when I started really binging on pornography. Uh, it was pretty heavy. I even started watching things that weren't necessarily that I liked. There was just shocking, like bestiality, MPT, just different genres of just, I just wanted to, I was curious. But every time I would see something like that, it would really shock me. And I'd say, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore, not do this anymore. However, I kept doing it. I would ask the Lords like, Lord, please heal me from this. I don't want to do this. And I felt heavy conviction towards it, but I didn't I didn't really know how to stop. And so what I knew from um, the church I grew up is that you had to be perfect. And so I was imperfect. So I felt that the Lord would not deliver me. I was a bad person. And then second, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't have any community at a and I didn't know what community was because the church I grew up in didn't really show uh, what it was to have a discipleship. I, I did know enough about Jesus to want to did, want to surrender my life. And I felt that I had a calling in my life, but I just didn't know how to get there. For all of my 20s, so pretty much 2000, 2011, 2000, um, I struggled with pornography So that's
1: more than two decades, right?
2: Yeah, going into my third decade in my 30s. But I eventually, when I came to pornography, it moved to sexual addiction because I came across child pornography. Back in the early 2000s, they had Napster, they had uh, file-sharing services. People would just share files, share videos. And a lot of the videos, in order to get through the filters, they would rename them. You would think you'd open one video and it'd be something else. There were several times where I came across... What I thought was regular pornography was actually uh, a child or a child being raped or a child that was groomed to, um, to have sex with an adult. That right there, I knew. I knew there. This is where pornography took someone. And I was scared. I was like, where, where am I at? And so I started declining watching pornography at the time, but I also had my first sexual experience in 2004. And so I thought, you know what, instead of wasting my time looking for pornography at night, why don't I just, you know, look for someone to hook up with? I used several sites, Adult Friend Finder. I would befriend people on MySpace at the time and just kind of say, hey, um, I'm new in the area, Um, do you want to see if you want to hang out? I would... I would do that, uh, but that took a lot of time. Eventually, I just looked up sites that you would, were, their purpose was uh, hooking up. That pretty much started in 2004. In 2009, I hit rock bottom. Every addict has a rule, and that's why they keep doing what they're doing because there's something in the rules that they feel justified. To, they're not the worst person, and so for me, it was no cheating. As long as there's no cheating, then I'm not uh, an adulterer. And also mainly what I did was oral sex. So I always thought like, oh, as long as it's not intercourse, it's fine. But just because of that, it doesn't necessarily mean I wasn't still engaging in the sexual activity. So rock bottom happened in August, 2009. Uh, I went to a wedding in New Orleans and I was texting with this woman that I met on Craigslist. And I said, just wanted to hook up. One of the things she said is like, hey, can you be out by 1 a.m.? And I said, why? Why, Can I just leave in the morning? It's like, well, my husband is out fishing. And I thought to myself, like, she's hiding from her husband. And we had already kind of texted for a while, and I was thinking to myself, well, if it's not me, it's going to be someone else, so might as well be me. And so those are the exact words of an addict. I did it, um, had sex with this woman, and I felt terrible. I had an eight-hour drive from New Orleans to Dallas, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was really really convicted me there, he had his way. I was super scared because I had broken my own rules. And that's when I knew that I was out of control. First thing I did is when I drove into Dallas, I went straight to my friend's house and I confessed to him. And that was the first time I've ever confessed to anyone about just my addiction to pornography and sex. And I never called it an addiction until that day, 2009, because I knew I knew that I was just out of control. And so, but that started a series of events. I uh, started going to my local church here, Watermark, and I I heard the pastor talk about his porn and sex addiction as a believer, and I had not known that you could be a believer and still be an addict or struggle with sin. I, when I heard the message, I, I cried and bawled. I didn't realize this. No one actually, really told me about grace. Nobody really told me about sanctification—that it's a process. Just some divine appointments. This man that saw me at the young adults at my church at Watermark saw me around walking around every Tuesday, and he's like, "Hey, man, like." I've seen you come around a few times, like, I, I want to start this discipleship group of reading the Bible and, and scripture memory, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, are you interested? I'm like, sure. I was, honestly, I was really interested. So he discipled us for 14 months and it was super hard. Uh, it was it was harder than my the 12-step program that I ended up going into because uh, they kept me accountable. They were asking questions weekly. But yeah, that started a three-year process from 2009, 2012, going through 12-step program, being discipled. It wasn't until June of 2012 was the last time I hooked up. And I just remember I had sobriety for about three months. And to me, that was awesome. But then in June of 2012, I fell to uh, another um, hookup. But then I just remember calling my uh, 12-step leader. and He said, hey, man, thanks for confessing. We'll pray for you. And I remember my discipler, he used to say this, like, all right, Yvonne, this is another opportunity for you to fall in God's grace. He goes, what's better for you to feel Guilt and shame and condemnation, and be rendered useless for the kingdom for the next week, or accept God's grace now, right now, and go forward. And I thought to myself, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair that I could just do this, and Christ is the one who suffers. But that's exactly why he died for. And I should accept his grace, or else it renders what he did on the cross not powerful enough to defeat this. Mm -hmm. The Lord kind of just gave me um, just more of his spirit at the time that um, that was the last time I hooked up. Towards the August of 2012, that was June of 2012, the last time I hooked up. August 2012, I, I felt that I was fully healed from this addiction. After, since 2012, it, it's been the best years of my life. I've been a facilitator for a recovery program at my previous church. I've been... Um, facilitator for Tulsa program here at my church. And uh, I always had a call for pastoral care. I think I had a prophetic word when I was 20 that the Lord would use me in that capacity. But I didn't know how he would do that with me being an addict. But it wasn't until 11 years after that prophetic word of 20 years old, that it's just come true and so
1: through this struggle
2: yeah it's it's just been amazing it's been an amazing journey it's been the lord has been super good with me i mean he gifted me a wife earlier this year in may she is every time every day that i wake up i realize that i don't deserve any of this i'm just so thankful for the lord and i just can't believe how much he loves me so
1: i actually had the privilege of attending your wedding you want to know what was my favorite you know part of the entire wedding so, <laughs> after, after the actual uh, ceremony thing, yeah, you know, the, what, what do you call it? I guess, so, yeah. The pretty, pretty beat, yeah? Yeah, yeah, after the pretty, pretty beat, then we went to, we went inside, right? Yeah. And then before the dancey, dancey beat, <laughs> there was a worshipy, worshipy beat. And I loved that. Yeah. Because I remember you told everybody to, hey, guys, let's get up. Let's worship. And I remember we sung, what a beautiful name, that was Yeah. That
2: was (laughs) I loved it. I wanted it to be a place of worship and just attribute it to God.
1: That's awesome. That was lovely. A lot of people don't do that anyway. uh, I have some questions for you absolutely uh, i know you've captured some of this stuff but just allow me to ask them back to you at what point did it occur to you that hey i'm an addict and i ask this question because i mean i've struggled with addictions of my own Mm -hmm. uh, drugs illicit indulgences as well and for me i realized that i didn't it didn't occur to me that i was an addict it usually occurred to me as if i was in control and so whenever i took an extra path of that stuff you know it's like yeah yeah, i am in control i'm determining this up until the moment i realized well i actually want an extra path after every 20 minutes yeah so like to you how did it look to you
2: that you're actually addicted an easy one is if you have rules and thought i'll never do this i can do this and you do that's a clear indication Another one is, uh, and so that was me in 2009. The rule was no married women, and I did do that. That's when I knew. I was like, okay, I'm out of control. That was nine years after I really started looking at porn and engaging in sexual activity. And just the consistent, like, I can stop, I can stop. Uh, Whatever you feel like you can stop, like, give it a month. See if you can get past a month and, and not do it. Because those are the exact words uh, of an addict. Like, oh, I can stop anytime any time, but they don't. But for me, it was just breaking my own rules. Yeah. and yeah. uh, today's conversation, really
1: we're focusing it on the sex and mm-hmm. porn, right? There's something that you mentioned that really captured my attention in that uh, it got to a place where your conscience had been so stripped away mm-hmm. that you found yourself toler- tolerating things that, that you never really thought possible, right? Things right. such as bestiality. Do you think porn has an effect on that and if yes,
2: how? I think the novelty of if you start watching Barely Legal was a huge thing. The people on there they're they're eighteen, but the reason people watch it is because they look younger than eighteen. But once you indulge in that, you get tired of it. So you're looking, all right. Let's. I like African American women, or I like Venezuelan women, or short women, tall women, whatever. You start indulging in that, and once you get tired, you start moving, moving, moving. Mm. I think anyone that discovers anything new is they tried it once. Mm. For me, I was like, let let me look at this and see how that is. I I think that's always a gateway of because it is like once you start, things will get old, and you want to move forward. Even when I was uh, a sexual, when I was hooking up, I would hook up with the same girl, and then after a while, she wasn't attracted to me, so I'd mm-hmm. move on to the next one. And then, so six months later, the old girl became attractive because I stopped. I stopped sleeping with her. These things never stop. The more young dolls, like, the, it, you're just feeding an appetite. Pornography works the same way. You start with some one thing, you try another, and another, another. and another. In this industry, I mean, they're willing to give you whatever you wanna see. To answer your question? Yes, you did. And yeah. it's
1: crazy because I, I read something, I, I, I don't, I can't recall where I read this from, but it essentially went like whatever you feed grows, right? Mm-hmm. So if you feed an addiction, it's going to grow. So the more you feed it over time, then the more it grows and then it gets to a place where, for example, if you feed a uh, firewood into a flame, right, uh, the fire is eventually going to engulf you, mm-hmm. right, and it's going to destroy you. Um, You also talked about now you're driving from, was it Louisiana, no?
2: Yeah, from Louisiana, New Orleans to Dallas. You're driving from
1: New Orleans, Louisiana to Dallas. And then that's the moment when you get a conscience check and you're like, wow, what what have I become, right? Yeah. And so for me, uh, when I struggled with addictions of my own, you know, there was a period of time where, again, I wanted to be in control and I'm like, well, I can fix this. So I'm going to try to fix it. Right. Did you ever have such a moment where you were trying to fix it by yourself?
2: Every day, I didn't know how, so it was just it was just watch it less or don't turn on the computer. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I did not know how. To me, it was just like, oh, I can go to- cold turkey. To me, fixing the problem was like like a... Avoiding. A, yeah, just avoiding, like a smoker saying like, oh, I'm not going to smoke it anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put it aside. I honestly didn't know how, and that was the hardest part. I didn't know how, and what I knew was not to tell anyone. Mm -hmm. I was just left to my own devices. And then in James five sixteen it says confess your sins to one another and pray for each other uh, so you can be healed for the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective and so right there and there it shows you that healing requires more than one person it requires you to confess and then in which I always confess to the Lord but I never confess to someone else and then second prayer someone for pray over me as I confessed uh, and so I never had that and that was actually the recipe that really got me to. God, I mean, allow the Lord to really kind of work in my heart is I, I started confessing my sin and then asking people to uh, pray for me and allow people to tangibly be Christ to me. Christ didn't seem tangible. These people showed me grace and, and really helped me during my recovery process. It took about three years, but it was good in the end. So yeah. uh, I like that you bring
1: up the fact that you prayed about it and that mm-hmm. Christ was the center of your recovery, right? I've had a lot of people, some of whom I'm privileged to mentor or shepherd, and they come to me almost every week and they're like, hey, I have prayed away my sins, I've prayed away my temptations, I've fasted for all this stuff to go away, but then I'm not seeing any improvement, Mm. right? How do you reconcile with that in that you've come to Jesus with your burden because he tells you to bring your burden to him, right? But then you don't witness at least any instant
2: change. So that there are, I've heard of uh, certain things, uh, alcohol, drugs, where people have been delivered as soon as they accept Christ or they prayed and and accept Christ. Um, And I think that's out of the Lord's mercy um, and grace that he can do that, but that doesn't happen to everyone. I think the Lord is really concerned about us maturing, and so if he just kind of like completely just removes that from you, um, are you eventually going to go back? Like, do you still need him if he just kind of removed that burden? Um, and the second thing I will say is it, scripture talks about that one that sins sexually sins differently sins, uh, with his own body. And so I believe that sexual sin is fought differently than all other sins because of that scripture. Um, so because even through my walk, I'm 40 now, is I've heard people talk about, Oh, I've been delivered with alcohol, drugs, like right in an instant. Um, but the one thing that didn't was like the pornography or the sexual addiction. So I, I've seen where like, it's like, yeah, they tell me a powerful testimony and I showed it. my testimony was like, oh man, yeah, I'm still struggling with that. And so I, I honestly hear that a lot, um, where I I've honestly never heard uh, anyone say like, oh yeah, I was delivered from pornography and never looked back again. But I, I do believe scripture. It's 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 a different sin mm-hmm. uh, because Paul does give a distinction on that. The one sins sexually sins with themselves. So.
1: Oh, let's talk slightly more. I I loved that response, but I really want us to talk more about your rock bottom moment. In that you are emotionally wrecked because you've done stuff that you never really it never really occurred mm-hmm. to you that you do that, and then now you have this massive, uh, in your opinion, or in our considered opinion, a massive thorn in your flesh, and you bring that to Christ, and then it's not taken away immediately, but you are at the rock bottom. How does that not affect your faith?
2: And I can only speak for myself. I've just, I've had personal encounters with the Lord that have tangibly, he's tangibly revealed himself to me that I can't deny. So anytime I have any, uh, doubts and faith, any crisis in faith, it always brings me back to those moments. And I'm reminded like, yeah, he was there. Mm-hmm. Job talks about, Lord, I've heard your name, but now I see your sa- your face. And so there's moments where I've seen the Lord, not physically, but like he's shown himself. And so I just knew that there had to be something I eventually would get over the hump. I just didn't know what that was. I struggled. I did struggle with my faith all my twenties. It, it was, um, I was super depressed all the time um, because I would have a week of sobriety or two or three days, and I felt like, oh, the Lord finally delivered me, and then I'd have a fall. And so that would happen weekly for 10 years of my life. And so what you do, just like, you, know, you just forget about it. You just don't think about it. I, I really struggled more with going to hell than I did that God doesn't exist. Um, and so that was my biggest fear at the time so i it's more like i really didn't attribute my lack of deliverance on him but more on me and then now that he's now he's walked me through that and even through that i've had some personal encounters with him like i'm more my faith has grown even more but yeah i can see how it could wreck someone
1: you've talked about
2: some stuff that maybe we
1: can unpack a little bit more Uh, you've mentioned fear right Mm -hmm. Uh, you've also mentioned conviction right yeah and sanctification Uh, so how do you balance this um, three things in our pursuit of purity right for example someone once told me that hey uh, if whenever you watch porn you're looking at people who are probably abducted from their families Mm -hmm. and they've been. Um, forced into that industry. right? And for a moment, it worked, right? Because it, you know, I I, I I, was like, oh my God, I'm so afraid. Oh my God, who who does that, right? But then after the mom, after some time, you know, fear does not work anymore. right? For example, if you have a fear of heights, then you climb up the eiffel tower maybe mm-hmm. once or twice, and then after some time you're like, yeah, I can do this. And conviction, which is okay. I believe this is a scene, and maybe mm-hmm. I need to work on this. And sanctification, which I can't define because they don't know how to define that. Uh, so how would you say, how do you balance all these three
2: and as we pursue purity? I think when it comes to fear, uh, most of the time when we talk about trafficking or the effects, they're they're so far from us, or it seems like we, we agree with the concept and we were initially kinda like scared into it, but because we don't see it so often, usually it's because it's a compelling story and, and we, we we in the moment we feel as it, it's real. Mm-hmm. But as ta- the time wanes, that story kind of just fades. Yeah. That's when when people have, like, personal experience, is like, oh, I actually saw this person get abducted, or I actually, um, I drank and, and I got in a wreck. There's certain experiences where, like, now it's tangible, and now they have a bigger reason to do it. But most of the time, people are told the story and still this fear, but the fear wanes. Conviction uh, Is really came for me fr- from the Lord, uh, where I, I believe and knew, I think just through time, I, I, I just believed his plan to be right. Was it just so clear to you that you could not doubt
1: it, the conviction beat?
2: Yeah, honestly. Like, one would say, like, if I was 20 years old and I told them I was struggling with porn and sex addiction, hey, um, I don't think you're a believer. And I think with my lifestyle, like, uh, and based on scripture, like, yeah, I, I guess you could. But... I believed early on. I just didn't know how that was the issue. And I think one of the, a pastor I heard, I heard once is like, hey, can you be a believer and struggle with porn the rest of your life? And then he's like, you know what? I don't know. I, I'm not God. It is possible that you could live a miserable life, that you're given into porn, but the Holy Spirit is convicting you every day every moment of your life and you can live a miserable life I guess that's possible mm. and in hindsight I can say that to me like luckily for me like the <laughs> Lord didn't come to that time because I would really question whether I was going to heaven or hell wow. yeah. and sanctification yeah sanctification I didn't I assumed that like once you were really surrendered to the Lord that you would never struggle with anything again mm. I really understood scripture says like today give us give me my daily bread and mm. so we're asking for the Lord for strength just for today, mm. not for a week, not for a month or a year. It's just for today. It's just a reminder that you cannot go one day without Christ. And there's going to be moments where like, you're going to fall because you didn't surrender this day to the Lord. But it, you you remind yourself, hey, like, I need to surrender this moment. And that's how you start with, you know, 24-hour sobriety. And then now that you have 24-hour sobriety, you work on a week. And when you work on a week, eventually you get a streak. But if you fall, and this is important, what I tell guys is what's more consistent the last six months? And I'm not necessarily concerned that you saw porn yesterday, but when was the last time before that? And when was the last time before that? Mm -hmm. Because we need to see, in in, in hindsight, like uh, the progression of this. And, and that's how I've seen uh, recovery and in my life overall with my walk with the Lord is sanctification. It's just what what's now regular in terms of my struggles is more far apart. Mm-hmm. I think as you grow in Christ, you're wa- you wander less. And if you do wander, you're quicker to return mm-hmm. and you don't wander as far. It's like a squiggly little line. If you go up and down, that's how far you wander. Boy, the closer you get to, to lower, the Lord, that squiggly line gets shorter. And then the gaps in between, you come back quicker. If you guys can use your imagination, you can do that. But um, sanctification is a process. And, and you have to remember that it's purity. And for the single people, it's, it's not about virginity. With pornography being so easily accessible, it's no longer about virginity. It's about purity of mind. Because mm-hmm. one guy in uh, in my 12-step Group. he was a virgin and he'd always say like I'm still virgin I'm still virgin but he was neck deep in pornography mm-hmm. and so um, he was definitely not pure now the standards purity purity as I no longer look at porn or I'm not a sex addict uh, Luckily, they have my wife now um, but so what does purity look for me for me it looks like Instagram like um, how long do I, I look at a girl uh, a friend that's in a bikini that's in a beach or Uh, if I'm in the grocery store and there's a a swimsuit edition, you know, magazine, like how long am I looking at that? Or anyone that, any girl that passes by, then that starts becoming okay. But through time, even that's being sanctified Mm -hmm. where I'm easily easier to bounce my eyes. It's easier not to think about those things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sanctification is, is just a continuous process and it changes, um, through time. Yeah. So...
1: I I love that in in talking about sanctification, you've really talked about what I wanted to ask next, which is what was recovery like, right? And you've also mentioned, if I may paraphrase, that it wasn't really a straight line, you know, which I don't think it's ever supposed to be a straight line, but I think it's uh, one of those journeys that has a terminal, you know, and where we all know how the story ends, especially Mm -hmm. if you surrender to Christ, that uh, you're going to overcome it, which is lovely. um. Do you have anything to add on to that?
2: Yeah, like for me, because in in my church, we talk about a 12-step program all the time. It's not the, you know, end-all, be-all. To me, it was one component of it. The other part was discipleship for me. The accountability, these guys that were really committed to me. The 12-step program did so much, but then there was these other men that really, accountability, but really understanding the word. Uh, I think the more I, I didn't know the Bible really at all. Um, I mean, John three sixteen. I know, right? But as I I started learning the Word, I started understanding. Like man, this Christ is beautiful, uh, and uh, like He really loves me. He's really pursued me. But one thing, one thing I need to mention this. So I didn't know this at the time, but uh, I, I really struggled with self worth as a kid. My mom, uh, she, she was really tense um, because she fought with my dad all the time. And so I was rambunctious. 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 Yeah. Um, and so I'd get in trouble a lot at school because I talked too much. I didn't want to stay in my seat. And then at home, I'd break things because I was running around. And my mom would discipline me pretty, pretty harshly. But that's because she was so tense with my dad. However, that instilled to me that I was a bad kid, and then I went to the the church that I grew up in, and that that legalism just fortified that I was a bad person. so I, I think I just accepted that I was a bad person, the Lord doesn't love me. That kept me in a uh, in the state of like, oh uh, well, I'm just not going get'm gonna get over the hump. I'm gonna try a little bit. I think uh, I, I really struggle with self-worth, and I think uh, there was one instance I can look back that really... That really kind of illustrates that. I had hooked up with a woman, and she said that I had to be out. Like I hooked up, and she's like, "All right, now uh, you can go now." And I'm like, "It's late. Can't can I just sleep here and leave in the morning?" And she was single. She's like, "It's like no, you're done. Um, you can go now." And I'm like, "Okay." And I walked out of the house, and it, my feelings were hurt, but I was really confused with that because this was a very transactional thing. Like i just met this woman, and but I just stuffed that feeling. And later on, when I was healed, I realized that um, I really struggled with self worth, and hooking up with women gave me power. It gave me, these women wanted something from me, it gave me value. Uh, and I didn't know that at the time. And so, when I was starting being discipled, I really understood my value in Christ and who I was. And that had been one of the bigger things that I had, that was revealed to me, is my value. And so anytime that I wanted to hook up or had temptation, it's because I had a bad day. I didn't feel worth it. Like had a bad day at work and I thought like, man, I'm just so stupid. Like, I'm so stupid. Why do I have this job? Or, and, and it caused me to want to look and, and kind of medicate in that way. But then I would always remember like, okay, what am I th- feeling? Okay, I'm feeling that I'm not worth this job. It goes, But it doesn't mean I'm not worth something in Christ. Oh, yeah. I love that. Wow. That's
1: awesome. That's yeah. awesome.
2: Uh,
1: a final question would be: I've gotten into a lot of conversations with friends, most of whom maybe did not subscribe to my belief system, which mm-hmm. is Christianity, and they did not believe porn was a sin or porn was uh, an inherently evil or bad thing. Right? What did you say
2: to such a person? Yeah, that I've I've tested that. Um, I think for what I would say is just statistically. Um, if you plan on getting married one day, you'll probably end up divorced. Yeah. Um, and, and women in general do not feel attractive. Uh, it really kills a marriage, and it trains you for divorce, really. Even, even now in marriage, um, because I have a wife, it's still the same woman, and there's, there's times where like, my old self is like, oh, that's, it's just one person now, but I can combat that now. But someone that doesn't subscribe to that or think that porn is wrong, they're, they're not going to realize that later on they're going to get tired of their wife or they're going to get tired of the girlfriend they're living with. Mm-hmm. That's just the beginning of the many things that pornography kind of really changes and rewires your mind. Mm-hmm. And also it's unreasonable uh, expectations of sex. Sex in pornography is nothing like sex in, uh, in, a, in the marriage bed. And so you're going to put... I want to know more, but I won't. won't, won't (laughs) That's for another episode. (laughs) But yeah, I I think that we can look at statistics alone about divorce and how it rewires your brain. And there's that alone um, should really scare someone Mm -hmm. about entering dabbling with pornography.
1: Mm. I was listening to something by the comedian Chris Rock. Uh, Some of you might know him. Great guy, lots of money, and he recently got divorced uh in 2016 and i think from 2016 till 2021 he was not doing his comedic stuff because he was divorced right and uh it's i mean divorce is a very painful process mm. and he admitted that pornography was the root wow. of his divorce wow and he said that he'd go on this tours. and this is someone from the secular world his comedy might be vulgar to some people right mm. but then he admits and he's like hey guys Pornography killed my marriage. It's like he went on these uh, tours as a comedian and he'd uh, hook up with the, a lot of the people that he encountered, yeah. right? And he wasn't really paying much attention to the wife because porn desensitizes you, firstly, and then it sells to you this idea that you can have whoever you want, which is a very fallacious idea, right? You know, which is really how rape comes about mm-hmm. you know because you can't take no for an answer because Bond tells you that you can have your way with this blah, yeah. blah 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 and so i think it was very crazy when he said that and he's like yeah i've had to go through re-ca- uh, uh, re- rehab right Rehab, and yeah. all that stuff and it's like man not serious it's serious so um yeah
2: yeah, absolutely. That's... I hadn't heard of that. That's amazing. That and, and that's a testimony to what it does to you. And then even through experience, like in, in my own recovery, like every... It has wrecked so many marriages. Mm-hmm. It, I've never met some somebody that says like, wow, we put pornography in, in our marriage and it's made it better. Mm-hmm. Re, no one says that. So.
1: Wow. Wow. All right, man. So it has been such a lovely episode. So, man, to all of us who might be struggling with the porn or any other thing, sex, uh, as has been spoken about today, I just encourage you to maybe take a moment to reflect about the person that maybe you want to be in five years or the person that you are today and maybe ask yourself some very critical questions. Is it honouring to you? And maybe is it honouring to God? And if, if, if you do not believe in that, maybe is it honouring to you? And. If you don't believe in God, again, I'd really invite you to reevaluate your belief systems because there's a lot of good stuff that comes with such a belief, but all in all, man, uh, you are special and your body is also special, so treat that accordingly. Thanks so much, Yvonne, for joining us on Shining Light. Do you have any parting shot for our lovely listeners?
2: No, I just, uh, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to be here on this podcast so it's been would you say that in
1: Spanish because we actually have an active fan base in Spain which is crazy outrageous
2: oh ok yeah. um, gracias por tenerme uh, tuve un buen tiempo aquí en, el, en tu podcast uh, de hablando de esto de mi vida y lo que hizo Dios en mi vida
1: gracias I didn't understand whatever you said but that sounded cool so thank you so much lovely people until next time be kind share your shine and no be kind love share your shine
0: Let's go. Let's go. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at Delight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, Share your shine.